This is Dad, Dad Time, Time Stories. Stories. Episode 5, Son of the Tortoise. Welcome to another episode of Dad Time Stories, a podcast where I get my dad to tell us stories. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your dad. Brian, we're recording more episodes of our podcast this weekend. Yep. That's exciting. And you're driving. I am driving. How do you feel about you driving, quote, air quotes, driving the podcast? It's okay. Do you know why I'm having you drive the podcast? Because I'm the host. Because you're the host, right? And right. you've seen us do this enough times, right? That I think that you are ready to be driving, to be the actual host. Okay. Okay. But not driving a car. Not driving a not car. Not driving a car. No, I'm thank not you. old enough. So so let's remind the listeners, this is going to be dad starting to drop the dad host role. Let's talk about why we do this. Let's remind people who might not be binging our podcast. Okay. Why we why we do this. Okay. Um we are recording a podcast because my dad and I only have time every other weekend to do stuff together. That's right. And that means that we're this podcast gives us an opportunity to make something together. Right. And to learn. To learn. Yes. Together. To learn. Together. Together. Right. That's the point. But okay, so so with that out of the way, Let's do what we did last time and let's let's touch base. See how okay. see how you're doing. Okay. It's been three weeks since our last weekend. I had stuff that I had to do with school and, and work type stuff. Yep. That I had to stay in Tucson for that I couldn't come up to the valley. So we okay. we had to do some some rearranging. How was your first week or the first couple of weeks? Anything exciting about school? Not really. Not not really exciting. I want you to remember, so as part of this learning process, right, we're doing that yes and, right? Right? And we just had this discussion before we started recording about what you were going to talk about. What were you going to talk about? Uh, woodshop. You were going to talk about woodshop. And you brought, because you brought some stuff to show me. Mm-hmm. Right? Can I, can we, can we talk really quick about some of these things? Sure. You've got, so Brian is, ooh, picking up. You can probably hear it. Some some wooden cutouts that he is handing me. Brian has a headless batarang uh-huh. that he's cut out of some some really nice wood. Uh-huh. A cougar that yeah. I'm I'm holding in my hand right now. I'm gonna set that aside so we can talk about that. And then these two have so there's a phoenix mm-hmm. and a squirrel uh-huh. that are both cut out of a half an inch quarter quarter to half an inch thick of wood pieces and they've got this paper on them can you tell me about this paper why they've got paper on them uh it's so that you can do the design the cougar also had the paper on it but i peeled it off oh you peeled the paper off of the cougar okay the cougar is the mascot of the school that you go to it is or the the mascot of the high school up there and the middle school oh so it's both okay Uh uh-huh okay so that's pretty cool so then this squirrel and this phoenix just had did you glue the paper to the wood no it was pre-glued it was pre-glued but the battering i drew out onto this piece of wood the headless battering you drew out yes so these are pretty cool i like the squirrel i think the squirrel might be my favorite and he's just gonna sit here everybody loves squirrels in in the computer um and that's very cool thank you thank you for bringing that and and Mm -hmm. sharing that with me i really appreciate seeing the work that you're doing in woodshop i'll have a cutting board done Ooh, a cutting board done. That sounds fancy. 
Do you know what kind of wood you're going to use for the cutting board? Not yet. Not yet. You haven't gotten that far yet? He said that oh, we're going to do it uh, Tuesday when I get back to school. Ah, Tuesday after Labor Day, because we're mm-hmm. recording these Labor Day weekend. Yep. But this episode's not going to be out for a while. What Two do you weeks. mean? Actually, no. This this episode is going to come out on Tuesday, isn't yep. it? The Tuesday after Labor Day. So, because we're, we're back, we don't have a backlog of, of episodes anymore. We've got... We're doing it. Boom, 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 boom. So I guess this episode is going to come out Labor Day Tuesday. There was, I was just thinking about Nick Offerman, you know, the guy from Making It. Once saw him do this thing where he was like, it was, I think it was this this, this skit that they were doing where, where he was smelling, like he was blindfolded and he was smelling different types of wood. And he was like, oh, well, that's a, that's a red maple. Ooh, that's a cherry. Ooh, that's a, ah, that's, that's mahogany. That's good wood right there. Um, and that was really funny, but he's, he's a well-known, a well-known wood maker and ukulele player. And he, he makes his own ukuleles. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so let's get back to touching base. We've, we've talked about you. Uh, how was your week? Weeks? Since, since our last weekend, I started my final year of grad school, my master's program in landscape architecture. Yay. Yay. Silent high five. Kind of silent high five. Um, which was exciting. It's really exciting to get back. Yeah. Um, I also started my my work with an outreach, my outreach assistantship with the Bisbee Science Exploration and Research Center, which it has is an ongoing process. You know, you know that I worked with them, right? Like I worked mm-hmm. with them all year last year. I'm going to be working with them this year to design a regenerative learning ecosystem in the backyard of an abandoned or not abandoned, an all former middle school down in Bisbee, Arizona. And so so we had a really big meeting where we're starting to talk about design principles and right. and make moves towards the way that that this project is going to go and I'm I'm really excited for this project. Um, yeah. and it's also going to be the subject of my master's report. And I hope that it's I hope that it's successful. So now that we've gotten our good things slash our check-in. Our check-in done. Yeah. Let's start talking about today's story. I'm very excited for this story. I know you are, because you chose this story mm-hmm. because it's not a Western, right. this Western is, story. This is a story that allows us to explore a new culture that maybe we haven't really um, heard about before, or another culture that we haven't really given any thought to before, but are a people that exist out in the world that we want to try to understand right. as other humans and part of understanding what it means to be human and really learning about, uh, you know, other ways of being human. That's that's a really important as an anthropologist, right? To get people to, oh, I just did it. We're trying to avoid ums and saying right that uh, we are listening back to yeah. our episodes and realizing that we're, we're falling back on this quite a bit. Um, and I just did it. I just did it. That's, that's, that's mine. That's, that's on me. Um, oh, there we go. Okay. All right. So we're, we're trying this again. Let's talk about son of the tortoise. Okay. What? So this is a story that you've done that you did quite a bit of research for before we started recording. At least I tried to, because there wasn't much information on this story. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the five questions. Okay. So the five questions are who, what, when, where, and why. Those are the five research questions that you took as you were taking on this, this research project, the project, um, for our podcast, right? right? 
<laughs> okay, we're we're doing our best. I think I think that we're doing much better than we normally do, but it's gonna. This is it's something that's taking some time getting used to, right? Ah, oh, I just did it. We're trying to have so these conversations. We're getting, trying to get used to trying to have this conversation and just ignoring the microphone. That is, is just something that is getting recorded. Trying to have this conversation, just Brian and Dad. So you had this. You you had these five research questions: who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. These are the same five questions that I was taught as a kid, like that the detectives use. Because I was really big into mysteries, right? If you have all five of these things, you build a good case. As authors, authors use these questions to try and build the world that they're writing in, to try and understand their characters a little bit better. Yeah. So with these, you took these questions and did some digging. So let's talk about the who of this story. So this story is from the Zulu peoples Mm -hmm. on the eastern coast of South Africa. They are a South African Nguni ethnic group um, located in the province of KwaZulu-Natal. And that KwaZulu-Natal province is in eastern South Africa. The eastern coast. That's on the east coast. Okay, okay. Of South Africa. I think that that's important to give the listeners, people listening into this conversation, an idea of what part of the world that this is happening in. Right. And you mentioned that they're part of the Nguni ethnic group. Yes, I think that that's that's really interesting, and we'll 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 come back to that because I want to I want to talk about these other these other questions. So we've got the who, and that's the the Zulu the Zulu people of Eastern South Africa. Let's talk about the when. Let's talk about how old this story is. This is a pretty old story. We didn't have an exact date because. We could not find this story anywhere on the internet. We originally stumbled across this story in a book of African children's myths and legends. Mm-hmm. But the book didn't have any information about which group of people that this story came from. We had to do some digging that we'll talk about after we listen to this story. So, we've got the who and the when. Now, no, you, you have something specific about the when that you learned. I do. The Zulu people was founded in 1574. Okay, the clan. Mm-hmm. The Zulu clan was officially, air quotes, officially, officially founded or recognized as a clan in 1574. By Zulu Kamalandela. <laughs> Zulu Kamalandela. Yes. Okay, that's a big name. It is a very um, big name. We you you learned something about the word Zulu. I did. Um so the word Zulu means weather or heaven in the Nguni languages. So the leader who brought the clan together, who brought the different ethnic groups together to form one people, was named Heaven Kamalandela or weather. I think I think it's probably more about the heaven. This right. is a you know, with most leaders like this, that, that that title is some sort of reference to a divine-ness of that leader. Okay. Um, so do we think that the story is older than 1574 or that it's newer than 1574? Um, we think that it's older. <clears throat> Why? Um, because, well, you had a really good reason and I don't I did remember have a really good what reason. it was. I don't right. remember what it was. That's okay. It's the, that oral history that when Zulu Kamal, when Zulu Kamalandela 
established or had this clan officially recognized when this when these ethnic the different ethnic groups were brought together it wasn't just a okay today is september 4th 1574 we all speak the same language now here are all of our stories where right like that's not how that's not how these types of things work sometimes we would like them to but we've got this saying rome wasn't built in a day okay no culture exists in a vacuum do you know what that means, though? Rome wasn't built in a day? Uh, yes. What does it mean? That it took multiple days right. to build Rome. <laughs> it took years. It took centuries. Right. For for Rome to get where it was as a prominent culture in, in Europe. Okay? Okay. I feel like okay is becoming our new right. We've got a... We've got a... We're just having a conversation. Okay. <laughs> Podcasting is hard. Talking talking with a microphone in between us. We'll get there. I know yeah, we, I know we, we, will, we will. Eventually. Um, especially as we get more comfortable talking about the stuff that we've researched. Getting back to getting back to the point of this is that Zulu Kamalendela when when this person brought these ethnic groups together, there were stories that already existed amongst these different people because of the oral tradition. So we think that this story is older because that's how these types of stories work. And because we couldn't find it written down anywhere else outside of this storybook that we found, we know that this story had to be told by somebody to somebody else and that it may be changed over time, which is indicative. It tells us that, you know, this story has been around for, for longer. That's how, that's how oral traditions work. And the fact that, at least for me, that, that we weren't able to find this story anywhere else tells me that this is an old story. It is. It, it is a very old, elderly story. Elderly story. It may have been written down after 1574, but I definitely think that this is an older story. That it was told earlier than 1574. Mm -hmm. Because people have been telling stories for a long time. Think about think about the first story that we covered on the podcast. Do you remember what that was? It was how stories came to be. How stories came to be. At some point in human history, over the course of 200,000 years, people had to start telling stories in there. Right. To keep ourselves entertained, to share knowledge, and that's going to be an important part of our discussion later, to share knowledge, and it's more than just entertaining. The purpose of all stories is to entertain. Every story then can be broken up into different different categories of of what it's trying to teach because these stories these old folk tales aren't just entertainment they're to teach something and that's a big part of what our podcast is trying to do too so we have the who we have the where the who is the zulu people so the who, where is what? south e or no not southeastern it's eastern south africa we have the who and the where Why? and the when who, what, when, where, and why. And the when is pre-1574, but 1574 is the date that the clan was established. So we need... We need the what. What and why. Okay, what is the what of your research? Um. What question were you... What were you researching for? The story. The story. The what is the story? 
I, I really feel like the what of this and the research is your story. It's always going to be the story. It could also have been some cool cultural traditions that you learned about. Like stick fighting. You want to tell me about stick fighting? On my paper, I only wrote down stick fighting, mm -hmm. all caps, on an explanation <laughs> point. Um, but stick fighting is where, so you have a stick stick with a shield in one hand mm -hmm. and another stick in in the other and you're trying to get around the opponent's shield stick to hit them okay uh, how old were these people who were or how how old do these do the zulu is does this is this um, cultural tradition so, practice so you can start at an as early as 5 they, years old they start stick fighting at five years old yes they must be really wank, good wank, so this must be a really important part of their cultural tradition yeah probably to train train it's warriors like the sca like the sca oh right 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 we did have that discussion the other day um about stick fighting so i'm trying to think about what for some of the other things that we were talking about the other day when we were when we were discussing this research and my mind is just coming up blank so me too we'll we'll include a link to a, some stick fighting in the yep. in the show notes but we, we should yep. let's set this cultural discussion aside as we're starting to run a little bit longer now and let's talk about the characters of this story okay so I rewrote a lot of this story. I really took took the story from the storybook and tried to keep... So this is Son of the Tortoise retold by Dad. Dad. But, and I did make some changes and I typed it up and, and was trying to make sure that I was avoiding some copyright issues because I... it was really unclear where this story comes from and which, and which culture. And there were a lot of questions that I had. So I am retelling this story and trying to keep as many of the relevant themes to this story as I could. So right. let's talk, let's have this character I, discussion. I also think that you made it a bit longer because the original time was just under seven and a half minutes. So the first time that I read it and you timed me, it came in at seven and a half minutes and the actual story that we're going to present here in a moment is i think 12 12 and a half minutes okay something like that so you're right i did add a little bit to it i made it a little bit longer and let's 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 get into that character discussion okay we have a, a there i think this story has more characters in it than we've had so far there's a little boy and his herd of cows or his father's herd of cows right the little boy's sister who is a major player um, Pofo? No, no, no Pofo. Pofo. Right, but we don't learn her name until later in the story. Mm -hmm. There's the Elephant King, there's the Jackal, and there's the Tortoise, and other animal, unnamed animal characters. And then there are the, grand, the grandfathers, the old people. The old people in the beginning, right? And we've had minor characters before like this, like the grandfathers and the, the other animal servants, right? We've had tertiary characters in the wings before with with other stories mm -hmm. um but so i think the little boy his sister the the elephant king the jackal and the tortoise so i guess that's only five major characters which is about right 
mm-hmm. yeah. for for the story. Now, each of these characters in the original version of the story have a Zulu name. The Zulu names were the context clues that we were able to use for our background research to determine that this was a story from that group of people. I, I don't remember what the little boy, the little boy did have a name in the original story, but I, I didn't feel like it was important to include. Because he, because he's only included in like... He's he's just in the very beginning yeah. of the story. Um, and I, I felt like that was not important. Um, the little girl's name was Nompofo. I forget. The, the little boy's name meant, I don't remember what it was, but it meant to want or to need, which is important. Nompofo, I don't remember what it meant when I looked it up, but the elephant king's name is Ndlovu. Which means elephant. Which means elephant. Mpungushe, which means... The fox? Fox or jackal. And then Fudu is the name of the tortoise, which means... Turtle. Turtle or water turtle or... Tortoise. Tortoise. Even though... Actually, wait a second. Tortoises live on land. Turtles live in water. So, Fudu meaning that that one reference that we hit that... Um, but also it said Ufudu meant water turtle. Oh, Ufudu was water turtle. Okay, so maybe maybe that's something different. Okay, we're running a little long. I think that we have enough information to get into the story. All right, let's listen. The Son of the Tortoise once long ago the rains were late in coming and the dry season stretched out much longer than it had any right to be the whole country was dry and parched and everyone was thirsty for even just a tiny drop of water children cried from thirst the mamas cried because their children cried the fathers lamented that the cattle were hollow-eyed and thin the cattle cried because they had to lick at mud in the riverbed, the only wet thing anywhere in that dry country. The spirit of the river is angry, the grandfathers muttered amongst themselves late one night. We should offer the spirit a gift to bring water to the river for our herds and our people to drink. A little herd boy, who was charged with the care of his father's cattle, overheard the grandfather's talk and decided that in the morning he would take the herd to the river and make an offer to the spirit of the river himself. When the boy woke in the morning, he drove his father's herd to the river as the sun came up. He separated a great black bull from the herd and led it into the dry riverbed. Oh, river, said the boy, this is the best black bull from my father's herd. I bring him to you today, and he is yours, if you will let the waters up for all to drink. But no water came, and the moos of the thirsty herd were the only reply to the boy's offer. The boy drove the black bull back to join the herd, saying, Maybe a red bull would please the spirit of the river more, as it shares the color of the riverbed. The boy separated from the herd his father's best red bull, and drove it down into the riverbed. Oh, River, cried the boy, this is the best red bull in all our lands. Take him as my gift to you. Please let the waters up for us to drink. Still, no water came up from the riverbed, and the herd mooed its desperation. 
There was a cow in the herd. She was milk white and flawless. She was the pride of his father's herd, and the boy thought that she must be what the spirit of the river truly wanted. This cow he separated from the herd, drove into the riverbed, and said, Spirit of the river, take Mlope. My father's heart goes with her. Only please let the waters come. No water came, but the cracks in the drying, sun-baked riverbed seemed to widen as they smiled at the herd boy in their refusal of his offers. In his desperation, the boy sank to his knees and whispered to the river, I have a little sister, a laughing, fat, and happy baby. If ever there was one, even her I would offer you if you would just let the watchers come. As the words left his lips, a dry patch of earth in the riverbed before him darkened, and then became wet, and water began to bubble up where there had been none before. The boy leapt to his feet as cool, crystal-clear water began to fill the river. The cattle mooed excitedly, and the boy and the herd began to drink their fill, and other people and animals soon began to come to the river to get their water. After a time, the boy went home to fetch his little sister, telling her that they were going to play in the water beneath the trees to cool and refresh themselves after the long, dry season. The two played, the boy leading his sister further and further down the river, away from the village where the spirit of the river might take her. Eventually, his sister became tired, and the herd boy suggested that they nap on the banks of the river, and they could return home when they woke. His sister fell asleep quickly, her cheek resting on her little hands. The herd boy waited until he was sure that she wouldn't wake. Then he stole away, quietly leaving her as promised for the spirit of the river. When the little girl woke, she found herself all alone without her brother. As she rose from her nap, the waters rose and took on the shape of the spirit of the river. The little girl was terrified at the sight of something so strange that she screamed a scream that echoed across the hills, and she ran away as fast as her fat little legs could carry her. She ran so fast that she took no notice of the direction she was running, but in time she escaped the spirit of the river. She wandered on and on, through the woods and into a hilly country, but could not find her way home. As night approached, she came to a well-kept cornfield, and she thought that she had finally come back to the edge of her village. But she was wrong. The little girl had wandered far from her own chief's lands and into the neighboring animal kingdom, and the cornfield that she had wandered into belonged to their king, Ndlovu the elephant. After spending all day playing and running and searching for home. The little girl was very hungry, so she made herself comfortable in a thicket of tall grasses near the edge of the cornfield. She gathered some of the ripened corn and crushed it between two flat stones. She made a fire and prepared herself a meal of ugali. Once she had filled her belly, the little girl covered herself with grass and went to sleep for the night. Early the next morning, the little girl woke to the sound of talking and laughter nearby. Curious, she peeped from her little shelter to see the elephant's animal servants collecting the ripened corn for their king. Soon, the little girl heard the jackal shout, Hey! Danger! I, I smell something foreign here. Something that does not belong. Do you smell that? 
and the other animals began to sniff the air in concern. A thief! Another of the animal servants cried. A thief has stolen some of our Lord's grains. See here where the corn has been torn down? At the sight of the place where the little girl had taken the corn for her ugali from, all the animals stamped their feet, turning this way and that, searching for the thief. But the little girl was too well hidden in her thicket of grass. As the animals got closer to where the little girl was hiding, she blew on her smoldering fire. The dry season had been long and harsh here too, and it took no time for all the grasses to catch and set the cornfield ablaze, which drove the approaching beasts away, scampering back to their king. In their panic, the animal servants raced ahead of the flames to report what was happening to Nlovu, the elephant king, but they had left all of the corn back in the field. My lord, my lord, cried the jackal, there is a thief in your fields. My lord, my lord, cried another of the animal servants, your lands are all ablaze. Undlovu, the elephant king, was angry at being disturbed so early in the morning, especially when he saw that all of his servants had come back to him empty-handed from the cornfields. So he called Jackal to him and said, <coughs> Go out to the fields, Moonsinger, and kill whatever creature has dare spoiled my lands. So... Mpungushe the jackal, with his bushy tail dragging along on the ground, went out, nervously looking over his shoulder, unwilling to return to the fields where he had been scared off by the fire set by the little girl hiding in the thicket of grasses. When Mpungushe came to the edge of the fields, near where the little girl was hiding, he poked his sharp nose into a bush, and then another, searching for the corn thief. I am Mpungushe! The jackal called out nervously, hoping to scare the thief away. I am the bold and cunning Mpungushe. Come out and let me kill you. But the little girl was not afraid, as she recognized his voice from before and knew that he would easily scare. She made her voice as deep and as fierce as she could and shouted from her little thicket, How should I fear one so small as you, Mpungushe? I am the mighty Nompofo. It is well known that my horns are branched like a tree, with ten sharp points on them to run you through. I am so large that ten of you would fit comfortably inside my mouth while I chew you up for my breakfast. Be ready, for I am coming out. Mpungushe the jackal yelped as he leapt into the air and turned to run back to his master with his bushy tail tucked up a well between his legs. He bolted all the way back to Undlovu's hut, without ever once looking back. My lord, my lord, cried Mpungushe, a wicked giant monster is in your lands, my lord, I saw him. He is taller than the trees, with great and mighty horns. Even you, my lord, could he crush beneath his foot. Silence filled the space as all the animals turned to their elephant king, who flapped his ears in distress while well, he thought of what could be done about a giant in his lands. At last, one of the other animals spoke up. My lord, it would take more than a giant to crush me. All the animals turned to Fudu, the tortoise who was speaking. I will rid you of this enemy, my lord. And Fudu swaggered down the path toward the fields, while all the other animals craned their necks to watch. 
all too afraid to venture too far from their master's house. Now, Nompofo, the little girl, for that was her name, was very frightened at the whole situation she had found herself in, and was very near to tears at being lost and all alone in the wild animal kingdom. When she heard Fudu thudding along down the path towards where she was still hiding, making all the clatter and ruckus he could with his thick, heavy shell, singing loudly as he marched, I am the son of my father, I am the son of my father, she could hide her fear no longer. So she leapt from the thicket of grasses where she was hiding and ran screaming into the forest. This caused Fudu to stop, startled, and he sat for a long while on the path and laughed and laughed and laughed. At last, Fudu thought to himself, Mpungushe has shown himself in his true colors, the colors of a coward who was himself frightened of a little child who had lost her way. Fudu was determined to keep this fact to himself, however, so as not to belittle his own nerve and courage. After a time, he waddled his way back to Ndlovu with his thumbs tucked under his armpits, still singing loudly, I am the son of my father. The mighty giant has fled. I am the brave and bold Fudu. I am the son of my father. In his gratitude towards Fudu, Ndlovu made the tortoise his chief counselor and banished the cowardly Mpungushe from his lands. There was much rejoicing in the animal kingdom that night for Fudu's great victory over what was perceived to be a dangerous enemy. Since this embarrassment, the jackal has never had the courage to hunt for himself, only following other hunters, eating what scraps are left behind, and crying to the moon over his bad fortune. I really like that story, Dad. Thank you. You're welcome. I really like that story too, Brian. Do you have thoughts on that story? Well... What does lamented mean? Oh, um, that's a good question. So that's that's a word that was used pretty early in the story. Um, and it really just means to cry with great sorrow over, usually it's, you know, over the loss of a person, the death of somebody. But in this instance, it's used as the mothers were lamenting that, you know, their babies were thirsty. They're, they're upset and they're, they're vocalizing that. They're crying about it themselves. So that's what that's what that word means. Thank you for that question. Let's talk speaking of with questions, taking that as a question. Let's talk about your five questions for the story and the research that you did. We covered the who, that's the the Zulu people, the where is eastern South Africa, the when is old story through an oral tradition, but we 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 know that it predates or we can, we can assume that it predates 1574. Right. We know that's the who, the what is the story, who, what, where, South Africa, when, pre-1574. Now, let's get into the why of this story. Imagine yourself as a 12-year-old Zulu boy in South Africa hearing this story for the first time. Okay. What is the lesson that the story is? is presenting and wants you to take away so the story is not just entertainment right these the story is teaching something what is this story supposed to teach you as a 
12-year-old boy in South Africa 500 years ago. Don't give your little sister to the river spirit. You do a really good job of hitting that surface value, that surface level moral on the head. Don't give your sister to the river spirits. Okay, fine. Don't steal corn. Okay, fine. We want, I want you to get at that deeper critical thinking level. What is, what is this story about? Who's the main character of this story? Mm, Nompofo. Is Nompofo the main character of this story? No. If If we're looking at characters who have, when we're looking through a Western lens of what stories are supposed to be, okay, the main character is usually the person who shows the most growth over the course of the story. Okay. Do any of our five characters, our five principal characters, show any growth over the course of the story or have something um, change about their lives that is significant at yes. the end? Fudu. Fudu? I don't think it's Fudu. I but think Fudu was made right? chief counselor. He was made a chief counselor, and that's a good point. I think that this story is about Mpungushe the jackal and when we're looking at stories and we can break stories up into different types of stories these stories that are either about social aspects of what it means to be human or they're explaining something about the way the world works around us the natural world right. this story falls into that second category of what in the natural world works and this is the story is telling us this is why jackals aren't hunters and so maybe you're you're a twelve year old kid in a small village in Zululand, which is what the kingdom of the Zulu were, was called back right. then, right? So maybe you're this small kid in a village, and you hear the jackals howling to the moon at night. And this is a common theme for Zulu children that these howls at the moon in the night is something that's scary. It is very scary. It could be right. It, it could, could be, be scary. It could be very scary until you hear this story and you say, oh. Wait a second, that's just a jackal howling at the moon. I don't need to be afraid of the jackal, because the jackal's not going to eat me. He's too afraid of me. He's too afraid of everything. The jackal's not going to eat me, because the jackal is a scavenger, and I don't need to be afraid. What I find interesting about this story is that it's not called, this story is not called, Why the Jackal Howls at the Moon, or um, Son of the Jackal, right? Or something along those lines. Or something else along those lines to indicate that the jackal is the main character. But I definitely think that Mpungushe is the main character of this story. Do you think that there's a reason, and keeping in mind that there, there, are, no, there are no wrong answers, do you think that there's a reason why we spend so much of this story focusing not on Mpungushe? And instead focusing on how Nompofo came to be hidden near the fields? Yes. And? What do you think that reason is? Because they wanted us to know how the jackal came to be as the jackal. Right. We need all of that lead in. We need all of that exposition to explain what's going on and where where this story is taking us. That this story spends so much time focusing on the little herd boy and Nompofo because it is what what we what we just were talking about that this story is supposed to tell kids hey you don't need to be afraid of the jackal so it's setting up this realistic kind of scenario right, right. to give kids to give zulu children these characters to identify with the little herd boy and they gave us his sister nompofo 
to or they created these characters and gave us all of this exposition to have somebody for the Zulu children to identify with and say, oh, okay, this is a realistic scenario. The rains, the rainy season came late. I've experienced that. I understand this feels like a realistic story that I can learn from. And I don't, what I need to be learning from this is that I don't need to be afraid of Jackal. Now, big question for you, big critical thinking question for you. What do you think, what lesson can you take from this story to apply to the life of a modern child? Zulu, American, Australian, German, any, any child. What lesson do you think that we can take from this story and apply to our modern way of living maybe like i don't know try again i don't know what do you think don't be scared don't be scared i think that that's a good lesson right don't be don't be afraid right there's obviously those those surface morals those surface level stories don't sacrifice your river to, or your sister to the river don't steal corn from people but, but we get that from other stories too Right, we see you know the don't steal in um, the, the famous, famous thief. thief, kind of, but that's not really what the moral of that story was, right? Right, because that story kind of glorified thieving and stealing. Right, um, but this one is you know don't steal because you, there are these other things that are going to happen, and it'll lead to this chain of events. But ultimately, I think that that is a good lesson for people to take, for kids and families to take away from this story. In addition to learning, wanting to learn about Zulu culture is one of the, the primary reasons for telling a Zulu story is, is getting that interest in the story. But you don't have to be afraid of things that you hear at night, right? At night. But you, maybe there, in the day. No, you don't have to be afraid. You don't fear, have fear, to be afraid. Fear is a natural reaction. But you don't always have to be afraid of things that go bump in the night or things that howl at the moon. Unless the Sully is in your closet from Monsters, Inc. Well, then you definitely don't have to be afraid of Sully because he's a big teddy bear. But he also is not a scarer anymore. If you watch that movie, spoilers, that movie came out almost 20 a years ago. A long time ago. You don't have to be afraid of the monsters in your closet. Very, very, very similar. Okay, so I think that that's a good... A good discussion on this story, and we're going to cut too. it down. Let's talk about the poem that you brought and are going to relate back to this story. Okay. Um. So this story was written by Delmore Schwartz. Um, this poem was written by Delmore Schwartz. Yes, you're not, it was. You're not reading a whole another story for this. Right. Okay. This poem is written by Delmore Schwartz. Um. We don't know exactly what year it was written. Correct. But um, it was published in 1979, almost a whole 15 years after he died. I want to back you up just a little bit. Can you share the title of the poem with us? Uh, the poem is called I'm Cherry Alive. I'm Cherry Alive by Delmore Schwartz. Okay. And Delmore Schwartz is a modern poet. No. A modern European poet. No, modern is he a modern poet? I would say technically that he is a modern American poet, however, or at least a contemporary modern American poet. Unfortunately, right. he died. Our our definition our definition of what those words mean 
have kind of been stretching with industrialism and with the advent of the internet. So so when was he alive? Let's um, talk about that because I was using is he a modern poet to to get you to tell us was he is he still alive today? Is he still writing today? Um, he is not alive. Right, and I was trying to get you to elaborate on when that was. Right. So, Delmore Schwartz was born in 1913, and he died in 1966. Where was he born? He was born in Boston, New York. He was born in Boston, New York? Or, no, Brooklyn! <laughs> Brooklyn, New York. He was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, our apologies to the people of Boston, Massachusetts, and the people of New York. We know that Boston doesn't exist in new york the podcast regrets the error thanks dad you're welcome okay so and schwartz is born in brooklyn in brooklyn 1913 to romanian jewish parents who were immigrants at the time um he so he's a first generation american poet um he died he he died in new york city in new york city what year uh 1966 1966 so he was 52 53 when he 53 when he died give or take depending on when exactly that happened so he he didn't live very long what did what did his his contemporary poets say about some of his work specifically t.s Eliot. t.s Eliot is another very famous poet from that time period that he was one of the most respected people in literature Right, during that Of time. his time. Yep, and he was a, a prominent and most promising youth poet at the time that he was he was writing. So that right. tells me that he was doing a lot of his writing probably before he turned 30. So in his 20s, um, his late teens, into his 20s. And it's because T.S. Ellis said that he was 30s. a promising youth poet. Which, if, since this poem was published after he died, tells me that, that maybe this poem was written sometime... You said he was born in 1913? Yes, 1913. So, I would expect this poem to be written somewhere during World War II, or just a little bit before World War II, in the 30s, maybe early 40s. So, that gives us that gives us a time period for when this poem was written. It's not one of the oldest poems that we've read on the podcast, but I think, I think that that gives us you know they the critics said that he was he was really good at capturing um philosophical elements of what it meant to be a jewish person at this time um and was really good at capturing the generational knowledge of of his his peers um and what it was like to live as a jewish per a jewish person and as a young american during that time period during during and leading into world war ii and just just after world war ii right i think it is time to get into the poem okay let's hear your poem Cherry Alive by Delmore Schwartz. I am cherry alive, the little girl sang. Each morning I am something new. I am apple, I am plum. I am just as excited as the boys who made the Halloween bang. I am tree, I am cat, I am blossom too. When I like, if I like, I can be someone new. Someone very old, a witch in a zoo. I can be someone else whenever I think who. And I want to be everything sometimes, too. And I put it in along with everything to make the grown-ups laugh whenever I sing. And I sing, it is true, it is untrue. 
I know, I know, the true is untrue. The peach has a pit, the pit has a peach, and both may be wrong when I sing my song. But I don't tell the grown-ups because it is sad, and I want them to laugh just like I do, because they grew up and they forgot what they knew, and they are sure I will forget it someday too. They are wrong, they are wrong. I, when I sang my song, I knew, I knew, I am red, I am gold, I am green, I am blue. I will always be me, I will always be new. I really liked that poem, Bri. That was very cute. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, I also enjoyed that poem. Great. I'm glad that you enjoyed it since you were the one, because I wanted to talk a little bit about that. To date, Dad has found most of the poems that we've used, that we've recorded. This is one that you found that you thought applied really well to the story of Son of the Tortoise, Mm -hmm. even though this was written by a completely different type of person than who would normally be sharing Son of the Tortoise. And I wanted to get just right off the bat to one of the one of the lessons from the story that we forgot to talk about because it applies this is this is the connection between the poem and the story do you remember do you remember what it was i think it was the last two lines uh that applied to the jackal i don't think it applied to the jackal i think it applies to the tortoise i think it was apl- about about fudu fudu was okay with who he was that whole time Right? right, Fudu was. I am who I am. I am. I am a tortoise. I am the son of the tortoise. I am the son of my father. This is who I am, and I am not going to forget that as I go to face this this very scary situation of there being a toddler hiding in the woods. <laughs> very scary toddlers hiding in the woods. Right, but very but scary. but that's that connection. That is the the connection to from the poem to the story. What is what is your favorite part of the poem, or do you have a favorite line from this poem? Probably the one where it's something like, "I am red, I am green, I am gold, I am blue." Mm-hmm. Um. I will always be me. I will, I will always, always be, be new. new. Why do you like that? Um, just because. Is there something about that that makes you feel a certain way? Because remember that that poetry is is words that were written down but meant to be spoken to elicit emotion in other people, in other right. humans. So what does that make you feel? You know when you like hear a really good song and you like get goosebumps? Yes. That's how I felt. You get goosebumps from that line. I'm red, I'm gold, I'm green, I am blue. I will always be me. I will always be new. I gave myself goosebumps. Woo! I do like that. I like how in this st- in this poem, this this little girl, Cherry Alive, I am Cherry Alive. I think that that's very descriptive. I don't think that that's her name. I think that she is using that language or that Delmore Schwartz is using that language to describe how this little girl feels. I am Cherry Alive. What picture does that bring to your head when you hear that? A cherry tree. A cherry tree. I am cherry alive. What color do you think about when you hear hear that? Red. What is that red color, that kind of cherry red? What does that make you feel if you think about it in your head? Picture, just take a minute and, and picture what that color looks like. 
right? Is it a dark red? Is it a bright red? It's a brighter red. It's a bright red. What do bright colors make you feel? What happy. Happy. I am cherry alive. Is that an exciting, like that is a bold statement. That elicits feeling. I know exactly what that little girl is feeling. I am bright. I am bold. I am, I am alive. I am invigorated. Being yeah. cherry alive is awesome. <laughs> right? That's what this little girl is expressing. That's what Delmore Schwartz is, is expressing with these words that he wrote down. Right. I am bright and electric, and here I am. This is who I am with this poem. Yeah, I do like the idea of being, quote-unquote, cherry alive instead of very alive. It's cherry alive. Do you think that it was meant to be, I am very alive? No. No, I don't think so either. But there's a, there is an interesting something there i think i think that there's something interesting there what about how she what about the rest of that that poem what is she describing um she is describing how the grown-ups have forgotten what fun used to be like yeah that's exactly that's exactly where i was hoping you were gonna go right because grown-ups grow up and have adult things to remember and she's saying as this little girl i see I see that the grown-ups have forgotten what it meant to be a kid and to discover the world and to explore things and explore things about yourself. Right. Right. And then what does she say at the end? What does she what does she mean with that statement the I am red, I am gold, I am green, I am blue. I will always be me. I will always be new. What does she mean? What or rather um, what does he mean? What does Delmore Schwartz mean? As he's writing this. That you can be different, but you can be whoever you want to be, as long as you are you. I think that's a really good observation. I think what the author means with these words, I will always be me, is that the Schwartz, Schwartz is saying, I will always remember, I will always do my best to remember what it was like to be this child, this curious, this energy, this cherry alive human this cherry alive person i'll always remember what that that means to me i will become an adult someday but i'm i'm going to make a conscious decision to always remember what it was like to be this little kid and always remember most grown-ups forget what that's like yeah and i definitely feel like that's true i know that i i lost you know, as, as I transitioned from, an, you know, into my t from my teens into my early 20s, that I forgot a lot about, about that. And then you were born. And as you started to, you know, grow from a baby into a toddler and you started to experience the world around you, that really reopened my eyes to the wonders that the world held. And I think that a lot of parents get to re-experience that. And I think a lot of parents, even then, still lose that, especially today as their children grow into, into screen monsters, right? Where that's all that you really want to do is be on a screen or chew on something or, right, like, your screen monsters. And that's something that your mother brought up last night was that, uh, so she is a teacher. Mm-hmm. 
um, go- that Gogo every- is a teacher. My mother is a teacher. Her students are o- always chewing on something. Always fidgeting on something. And, like, and there's that- there's a lot of psychology that mm-hmm. goes into that too. I don't and- want to I don't want to deal with with that necessarily. But I'm glad that you brought it back up. That that this is something that teachers are seeing these the screen monsters and and you know how that's uh, impacting their behavior in the classroom because adults have also transitioned into this our modern society has become so screen heavy and right like there's there's a whole lot that goes into it it's way more than just this and i'm not saying that it is just this but the adults do lose a lot of that childlike wonder and seeing and experiencing that through your eyes again right for me because i experienced that myself as a small child getting to experience it through your eyes and helping you discover the world and what butterflies are and what clouds are and right all of these different things that we went through trying to hold on to that i definitely i personally not just as your parent but as a human being definitely have these words these words resonate with me like they do with you and i i hope that as you get older and i hope as as our our listeners our adult listeners and our child listeners alike as you go forward from this episode that that you are able to hold on to that feeling of what cherry alive means and that you brian you can go forward and grow and as you grow up you hold on to that too okay okay well i think that we are almost out of time for this segment of our show. I think I think that we're we're pushing our we're, we're pushing our time limit on on the end. Is there anything else that you want to add to this section or to this podcast? Anything else you want to say? Any other comments, questions? No, I think it is time to sign off. Okay, let's go ahead and sign off. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dad Time Stories, a podcast where I get my dad to tell us stories. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your dad. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, please email us at dadtimestorypod at gmail.com. That's D-A-D-T-I-M-E-S-T-O-R-Y-P-O-D at gmail.com. And if you'd like to hit us up on social media and share us with, uh, you know, some of your friends to broaden our audience, we're still trying to find our listeners and find our audience. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DadTimeStoryPod. Again, that's D-A-D-S-T-O-R-Y-P-O-D. You just spelled DadStoryPod. I mean, uh, (laughs) that's... At... D-A-D... T-I-M-E-S-T-O-R-Y, not... P-O-D. P-O-D. God dang it. <clears throat> That's okay. We're trying this for the first time. Yeah. Dead Time Story Pod. D-A-D-T-I-M-E-S-T-O-R-Y, P-O-D, P-O-D. Not, not at gmail.com. gmail.com. Email us at gmail. Don't email us at not <clears throat> at gmail.com. All right. I think that's it. That wraps us up. All right. Okay. Until next time. Be good. I start? What? I start! Okay. Until next time, do good. Be good. No, wait, that's wrong. It's be good. Be good. Until next time, be good. Do good. And And tell tell more more stories. stories.